1: Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Weisson, the unique blend of hunting, fishing, wildlife conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Taurus, Award-winning Pistols and Revolvers, Mossberg, American Built, American Strong, and the Red 55 Winery in Lindale, Texas, signature wines of Grammy Award-winning country artist, Miranda Lambert, and owned by Rick and Beverly Lambert. The very happiest of Thanksgivings and most blessed of Thanksgivings to you and your family and all your friends. This is such a very special time of the year in so many different ways. I love the fall. I love the autumn. Hunting seasons are going on. It's a time to spend a great amount of time out in the field to to learn, to uh, really get appreciation for what God has put here for us in terms of animals. And we live in a country, thankfully, where we can hunt and we can fish and we can utilize those animals to our welfare, if you will. I love venison in the fall. is a time when not only do I get to hunt and spend a lot of time outdoors, but I can also collect venison, so I'm truly thankful of so many different things, and it is such a great, happy Thanksgiving this year. I had the opportunity to hunt a lot of different places up until this point. Still got a lot more places I'm getting ready to go to, and really excited about those. We'll get into those in just a little bit, but Thinking back in the past, I had the opportunity during Thanksgiving holidays. We didn't have school when I was a kid growing up. We would go to a little camp house, a little camp right back behind our home there in Colorado County, Texas, and just above the, just above the uh, Gulf Coast Prairie area of, of Texas, and kind of into the gravel hills, and what gravel remained. And I say that because that area of the of our County and our state really supplied a tremendous amount of gravel for the concrete jungles that were built in, in, uh, in and around the, the Houston area, but. Uh, that area was very special at the time of growing up. Begin with, we really didn't have a whole lot of deer. And if, if you even saw a whitetail deer during the hunting season, you know, it was talked about. But if you were so fortunate to take a whitetail deer, and back then only bucks with the uh, forked antlers or better were legal, if you took a buck with a three pointer, oh my gosh, you were a hero. But if you were so fortunate to take a buck that had six, seven, eight, or maybe even that holy grail of nine or ten points oh my goodness you were all but carried around on the shoulders of everybody for that entire coming year so I'm very thankful in the fact that through deer management and good wildlife conservation practices that were set up through the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department that I was able to be a part of for a long time, many years ago, and through the landowners who controlled the habitat and controlled access to hunting, and then the hunters uh, who provided that incentive, if you will, to produce wildlife of all different sorts. And, of course, the monies that were derived from the sale of the excess tax on hunting equipment, meaning guns and ammo and those sort of things, is really what's kind of financed along with the landowners and their acceptance of different programs to really increase the whitetail deer herd to where it is today. And that not only has occurred in Texas but throughout very much of the whitetail's range as well too. We can be so very thankful. You know, I've I've said numerous times in the past, we actually live at the very finest, the the golden age of hunting, if you will, particularly when it's come to white-tailed deer. We have more white-tailed deer now than we've probably had in the, any, at least any historic time. And I'm not so sure we don't have more white-tailed deer now than we did in prehistoric time uh, because we have such diversity now in habitat and in food, whereas in the past, so many animals had to depend strictly upon the production coming out of the soil of native and natural vegetation and rainfall that uh, you know times there were extreme droughts and population dropped tremendously and and then they had to come back in back again once you started having any kind of rainfall and, and, and uh, food being produced. Well, these days with the habitat manipulations that we've done, and those include a lot of things in terms of creating a understory in certain areas or to remove the canopy even of some of the forest where sunlight now hits the ground and there's all kinds of different browse and and uh, feed type plants for birds and terrestrial animals, that uh, we've changed things. And then when you add the fact that we've added agriculture in so many different areas, oh my gosh, that has really changed a lot of different things. And, you know, for those, we should be thankful. Yes, we've lost habitat in some of those areas, but at the same time, those landowners who care about wildlife really have, have made a difference in terms of The animals that we have these days and the opportunities we have these days. We live in a time when we have got the very best guns, the best ammo that has ever been produced. We've got optics that do miraculous things when you get right down to it. From uh, Even with some of the scopes these days are computer generated with all kinds of different things where basically you push a button and and there's essentially no miss involved we could punch a button and we know exactly how far the distance is and you know me some of that's been good some of that I'm, i'm thankful for but some of that too we've kind of taken what used to be between the two ears I Meaning within our brain that we had to learn and learn woodmanship, you can now learn very simply by pushing a button and having an immediate and very accurate results in terms of, of range. And even in terms of do a holdover, do I dial up a scope? We've come such a long way from from a few years ago When I first started hunting, and particularly coming back to the Thanksgiving thing, because our deer season years ago used to open on November the 16th, and so really the first real opportunity that we had was generally Thanksgiving weekend when uh, we were away from school. But... Uh, we got the opportunity to hunt, and we hunted with open sided iron sights, if you will. In a lot of instances, my first deer was taken with a single shot shotgun that you heard me tell the story about so many different times that just didn't even really have any sights on it, other than a little bead on the front of the it, uh, the front of the muzzle or the barrel, and then a little notch, and you just kind of lined those up and pointed in the direction of where that animal was. After a while, people started using scopes. And I can remember when the first scopes kind of hit the market and kind of were being used. My, my dad and, and my uncle, and unfortunately, both and have, have since passed away. But both of them shot model 94 Winchester in 3030s. They had side mounts put on them, bought a Weaver K4 scope. And at the time, nobody really knew a whole lot about them, you know, as far as sighting them in or anything like that. And I can remember uh, them trying, knowing that. You had a sad man and sitting down uh, on the ground and propping their elbows against their knees and setting up a cardboard box about fifty yards away and and um, started shooting at the cardboard box with a with a target on it and you know it would maybe hit the target at the very top of the target so it'd be about. 10 inches, 12, 14 inches high at at 50 yards. And rather than take the uh, caps off of the adjustment, they simply moved the caps that uh, hid the, (laughs) or protected the uh, adjustments underneath. And they go, well, then shoot. And they go, well, that was a little bit better. And it wasn't until, oh, maybe about, oh, I'm guessing Two or three months later, maybe through one first hunting season of having scopes on their rifles, that they finally learned that you need to take the caps off and then make the adjustments where, at, at one click, at a, at a hundred yards, move that crosshair left, right, up, or down, depending on which uh, set of uh, which which you're trying to. to Move whether it was the up or down or left or right, and a quarter inch meant uh, one click, uh, and one click was uh, an inch at 100 yards. So um, in order to get them sighted in at 25, you know, well, you had to have... Move the, that that uh, little dial that you're dealing with a whole lot more times than, than what you did with just one click, quarter click at a, at 100 yards. So anyway, four inches. I'm go re- digress here and thinking about it. He added, it was a quarter inch click, which meant that at 100 yards to move that. Crosshair. Anyway, one inch, you'd had to do four clicks, and at 50 yards, it meant that you had to do uh, twice that amount. So they finally figured out how to do that, and I'm sure once they got that figured out, they were extremely thankful because now they actually had a scope that... We sighted in, and and, uh, as a result, rather than missing deer, as I had earlier with that scope, now all of a sudden they were precisely placing the bullet where it needed to be. So, you know, there's all kinds of things for being thankful for, and that was one of those early things years ago. I was thankful when whenever my dad wasn't hunting that I could use his rifle. And to me at the time... Well, let's put it this way the Model 94 was by far the most popular of any of the guns in that part of the country. If you were a deer hunter, you shot a lever action rifle. A little bit later, you know, a few bold accents started showing up. And of course, back then, too, you had the Remington semi automatics and pumps, in, uh, which were chambered for like 270, 30 six, a little bit later, 280, and uh, our seven millimeter. Bloomington Express as it was known at the time when it was kind of more or less introduced and 243 and some of these other different types of rounds that were pretty popular back in the middle 1950s and the middle part of our last century. But uh, then you start seeing bolt actions as well, too. And and thankfully to such writers as Jack O'Connor and Pete Brown, who's with the uh, Sports of Field and... Uh, And Warren Page over at Field and Stream, and and who were the gun riders and hunting riders, we learned a lot in a relatively short period of time. And... um, Again, those things that I'm really thankful for. I'm also thankful for the fact that not too very long ago, I was down at our old camp, and guess what I found? I found a bunch of outdoor life and field and stream tucked in a corner underneath a bunch of old pillows that I have no, hadn't looked there in years. But I found numerous copies going back to the very early 1960s. And uh, some of the, the stories that I kind of glanced at were just... Oh, my gosh. They brought back great memories of, of sitting there and, and reading those by uh, by an old wood stove that we had both at the house and down at camp. And I'd read those stories by O'Connor and Page and... Oh, a bunch of other writers at the time, and I dreamed about, oh my gosh, one of these days, if I could only be so fortunate to own one of the rifles such as they had, or to possibly go on a hunt like they did for mule deer, or elk, or moose, and, you know, even scared to dream about the possibility of going to Africa, which kind of started becoming pretty popular and during my really early years, back in the late 40s and, and early 50s, when people Finally had an opportunity to return to Africa and to hunt and could fly there rather than taking a steamer and going across the Atlantic and, and uh, ending up around the Horn somewhere around around. Nairobi and then having to take a train from there to wherever they're going to be hunting and then when they got ready to go back home had to repeat the process of, of going by train first maybe by by foot by car by camel train or whatever to a railroad head and get on all that railroad and getting back to Nairobi and then going to the water's edge and getting on a steamer and taking weeks to get back home to the US and then still having to go from wherever you landed, which is probably New York or Miami or someplace, and uh, have to get back home. The, the same thing that we do these days in one day of getting on a plane and flying to somewhere in Africa and being able to essentially start hunting the next day, you know, they used to take just that process of getting there used to take at least weeks so uh, you know when you think about being thankful uh i've been to Africa numerous times and i've gotten to the point now to where that 17-hour plane ride is not anything i particularly enjoy and and uh, then i think about how thankful i should be that i can get there in a day or two days into the hunting areas from where i live in texas to in africa whereas in the past you know good gosh less than 100 years years ago, which is not a long time when you really think about it, it took months to do the same thing. So I'm extremely thankful in in that respect as well, too. <laughs> thankful, too, for the guns that we shoot. The last, oh, several months and at least a couple of years now, I've been shooting Mossberg Patriot uh, rifles, which I dearly love. I particularly like the fact that their wood stocks are, are gorgeous in most instances. Uh, I've yet to see one that I didn't think was pretty close to a fancy grade piece of wood, and I'm one of those who truly appreciates what good wood looks like and pretty wood is, is and also accuracy. And, and uh, with the trigger that they have on the Mossbergs, I mean, it's adjustable. I can crank it down about two and a half pounds. Uh, they're extremely accurate. They're fun to shoot. And and uh, I look back at that and think about what it would have been like if I still had to be hunting with a flintlock, um, which was certainly an upgrade many years ago from some of the other guns that they had, but. You know, the flintlock, you had to keep your powder dry, and that just didn't mean the powder in the in the uh, barrel that, you know, ignited the uh, round ball or maybe a conical that would come out of the end of either a smooth or a rifle barrel, and most instances it was smooth and... Accuracy on a smooth bore, shooting a a single ball or a conical bullet, just is not as good as if you have rifling. Now, I mentioned keeping your powder dry. (laughs) You know, the thing was is that not only did you have to keep the powder dry inside the barrel, you had to keep the powder dry in the pan because what you would have to do is cock that hammer that had a piece of flint. And uh, there was a bar that kind of fit across that was steel to where that... Uh, uh, flint hitting the uh, the steel would create a spark that spark would set off the powder in the pan which was on the outside which in turn then hopefully set off the powder inside the barrel and send in forth a bullet now uh, i've hunted with the uh, flintlock a couple of times and uh, it was not with good success quite frankly uh, missed an opportunity it, to me was the biggest black bear that I've ever seen and I was very fortunate years ago with a TC 209 by 50 be the first person to hunt with that thing but also to shoot the first animal taken and it happened to be a 563 pound black bear on the White Mountain Apache Reservation there in Arizona and there it went off when I pulled the trigger and uh, which I was thankful for, but the bear that I saw that was even bigger than that was up in Maine, and I was... At the time, doing PR and media work for Thompson Center, and and we had just come out with a new flintlock, stainless steel flintlock, as I recall. Even had a, what I used to tease our guys about having a fancy plywood stock, meaning that it was a laminate stock. And uh, whenever I pulled the trigger on this absolutely huge bear, and I heard the hammer hit the frizzen, and there was this. Sh- Sound, but unfortunately, it did not ignite the powder inside the uh, the barrel and send a bullet forth to that bear, which, in my estimation, had to been six hundred pounds or better. It was just absolutely phenomenal uh, bear, and I guess I should be thankful that when he killed. Of stared up at me and and like, what are you doing? And what is this? And how dare you, you interrupt me. And at that point charge, uh, I don't know what I'd have done. You know, I, I probably would have just gotten eaten by a black bear. You know, they'd have found this, muzzleloader in a flint lock laying at my side in this bloody spot of where a human used to be and and noticed that uh, I pulled the trigger, and the hammer hit the frism, the powder in the pan had ignited, but the powder in the barrel hadn't. So i'm truly thankful that i have the have access to guns such as the uh mossberg patriot and particularly in some of the rounds i love the 270 30-06 and this fall i've been hunting a fair amount with a seven uh, millimeter prc from hornady that uh, they put together in the prc line of the prc rounds that I've shot, and it's been the 6.5 and 300. Uh, This seven millimeter is is one I truly, truly like. To me, it is probably the, the, the best in my estimation. And I say that because of having used it on and the others as well, too. But there's a little bit less recall in the seven millimeter, and it just seems to be one of those really well balanced cartridges that is superbly accurate with the both Hornady ELDX loads and also the CX bullets that just happened to use the CX bullet on some deer as well, too. But uh, really like that year round. I'm thankful that we have those. I'm thankful for Hornady and all the great research that those guys put into it and to creating the finest lines of bullets that they have and also the finest of of the ammo that's available as far as I'm concerned. As as a writer and as a hunter and even as a biologist, over the years I had the opportunity and continue to have the opportunity to shoot just about any kind of ammo that's being produced for a hunting round. And of all the ones that I've shot, I keep coming back – and. And say so with great sincerity and, and love and admiration for the, the Hornady family for what they do because their ammo is absolutely second to none. So another thankful thing to be uh, say thank you for is to Hornady and do a lot with Trigicon as well too. I've got numerous Trigicon scopes either in the uh, Huron. Are the acu point, which has got the lit little tritium uh, reticle, which is ideal for hunting most situations? There, you can come up with whether it's dangerous game or hunting in thick cover in bright sunlight, hunting near, hunting far, and then, of course, also shoot a lot of Taurus Ragent Hunter handguns uh, in a 44 mag, 454 Casu, and and uh, a 460 S&W, two different models of that, the 460 S&W, and all those I've got. Uh, set up With sites, the red dot site, known as SRO from um, Trigicon, it it just continually amazes me. Using the 454 seal with a 2.5 MOA uh, red dot site, which means at 100 yards, that 2.5 MOA dot covers 2.5 inches. Using either 240 grain XTP Hornady Custom or 300 grain xtp hornady custom from a good solid rest i can put all five shots at a hundred yards in about an inch group with that 454 so I, I did have the trigger worked on it a little bit but even the guns that i have from them that were the trigger is still pretty stiff i could still shoot less a smaller group. Let me put it that way. A smaller group than the size of the dot that it covers at a hundred yards. So, uh, you know, so I'm truly thankful for for that combination of the ammo from Hornady and. Oh, the Taurus guns, the Agent Hunter and, and that r- red dot sight. Now, I've had the opportunity to use that particular gun and I love the 44 Mag and I love the 464 Casu. And as I mentioned in the 460 and occasionally do also shoot a 357 Magnum, but, um, I really have gotten where I've fallen in love with that 454 casu. Uh With it, I've taken a variety of game in the past, including going back on the, on that particular round, the first black bear that I shot... Oh my gosh! Going back to the last century, uh, I was using a Freedom Arms in a 454 and shot an absolutely gorgeous, about a, just right, almost nine foot, uh, huge old ancient sow. And um, of course, later on, I hunted with Wayne Wood in um, between Cordova and uh, Oh uh, Valdez. And uh, there, I used a uh, my three seventy five Ruger in Hornady ammo and was able to take a nearly 11 foot bear but great memories on 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 both of those and and again Truly thankful for the opportunity to hunt those big bear. To me, bear hunting is so much fun anyway. And uh, when you increase the size of the bear beyond a black bear, and there are some big black bear, I've taken some really big black bear up to a legitimate eight foot bear in, in Alaska on the coastal areas with uh, Key and McCarthy uh, with the Alaska Coastal Adventures a few years ago. Over the years, too, I've had the opportunity. I mentioned earlier some of the earlier writers, like Jack O'Connor, and O'Connor was was and will always be one of my heroes. I loved his writing style. I loved his adventures. I loved the stories that he told. There's there's nothing I really don't that I don't like about what he did, and one of my great. Oh my! Great memories at this point now was this past year. I was asked not only to be a speaker during the daytime event that they have at the Jack O'Connor Hunting Heritage and uh, Education Center, but also to be the nighttime banquet speaker for their fundraiser. Oh my gosh! I'm I'm still walking eight foot off the ground of having that opportunity, and for again, you talk about being Thanksgiving. There's no way I could pass Thanksgiving without mentioning it. And it was O'Connor who instilled in me the interest in, of course, the 270. Although he did shoot a lot of the gun, and he loved the 280, which I did as well. And, and of course, he hunted all over the world as well too, and used some of the big boars to a, a lesser extent than he did the 270. But in all of his reading, I became enamored with the uh, Coos White Tail that lives in the very southwest part of, of North America, if you will, in Sonora and Chihuahua in Mexico coming up into Arizona and New Mexico and then hitting back due south and west of there. It's such a great little game animal and had the opportunity to take a 270. And... Uh, hunt some of the very same ranches that Jack O'Connor did back in the 1930s and 40s and uh, there, I can tell you there's still some really nice deer there and of course he was also a big proponent of desert bighorn sheep and over the years as a biologist, many years ago I was involved with the sheep program here in Texas and My wife, Marianne, and I ended up raising, bottle raising, three different uh, desert bighorns, a little ewe and then two rams that uh, we use for research purposes coming up with ways to naturally vaccinate uh, desert bighorns against blue tongue, which... uh, which is the disease that just nearly wiped it out. Blue tongue was brought over in the oh, middle 1800s from South Africa with domestic sheep and just devastated the, uh, uh, particularly the the, the bighorn sheep populations in Texas once they started moving domestic sheep out in that area. And, and today we kind of know it, know it by uh, EHD or epizootic hemorrhagic disease. Basically blue tongue and EHD are, are essentially the same and it's carried by a little cool. Coatis, nap, kind of a buffalo nap. But again, going back to O'Connor, Ian, he, with the work that I did with Desert Bighorn, including capturing several of them, shooting them with capture darts and that kind of thing, I really wanted to take a Desert Bighorn and finally had that opportunity after. Oh my gosh, I have lost track of the number of years that I tried to draw a permit for Desert Bighorn in in, uh, the states where they exist here, and particularly in Arizona and Nevada, and and, uh, I just could not draw one. And then later on here in Texas... (laughs) still have not drawn one but i did have the opportunity to hunt desert bighorn again in an area where o'connor hunted back in the 1930s and 40s particularly and even maybe in the 20s for desert bighorn and coos whitetail deer and occasionally a, a, a mule deer as well too but it was there that i was able to take my desert bighorn now by boone and crockett or a record book you know uh, measurements my ram is not that big uh but he is he is a desert bighorn ram and he was like almost 10 years old and and he, he's one of those rams that unfortunately never really grew horns like maybe his brothers and and cousins did or his dad even his dad or his you know or, or his offspring's did. but he's an absolutely beautiful ram and these days the full body mount is at the shield store there in um the colony just north of, of Dallas. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have them here at the house, but I have limited space, and so to me, there's an opportunity there for people to see it, and that particular mount, that particular sheep, and also will tell you that I'm thankful to Shields for allowing me to put those animals there. They've got a, that desert bighorn, a, my nearly 11-foot brown bear, an African lion, and a black bear, and full body mount, and probably about 60 or so show mounts from all over the world and include everything from, oh my gosh, from Cape Buffalo down to uh, in Africa to uh, uh, white-tailed deer here in, in North America. So, Shields, mm-hmm. thank you so very much for allowing me to do that as well there. I, I'm truly honored to have those those mounts there and they've graciously put my name on each one of them And underneath. And I think even as I recall Properly, probably tell where those animals were taken as well too, in, in terms of country or if it's here in the states. In the states, a lot of things to be thankful for this this year too. Uh, last year, we a couple of years ago, we had our first little great grandson, and. Um, Graham Gonzalez. And, and this year we had our first little great granddaughter, Ellie Gonzalez of the same parents with Josh, um, with uh, Justin and, and Andrea uh, Gonzalez, one of my twin grandsons past year too, his brother, uh, Joshua got married, and we got to spend some time with he and his his uh, uh, bride, Paloma, and, and some family members down in Mexico, and even got to do a little fishing down there. And then in November, earlier this year, my oldest grandson, uh, Jake, uh, who used to film for me years ago when I was doing TV shows and all that kind of thing, Jake got married to... Um, a very beautiful young lady, as all the rest of them, got married to Sophia. So uh, now I guess it's going to be, we'll figure out where my other grandson, Andrew, who just re- tired essentially from being an army ranger sniper this this past year and attending school in in clemson and uh his sister who's attending school now in austin texas so it's going to be interesting to see what happens you know the next years with all those and hopefully as we approach christmas uh they'll be able to be here to spend time with my wife and i and, and their parents in the in the town where we live and, and get to spend a little time with them and maybe even go on a hunt you Years ago, between Christmas and New Year's, every year I was so thankful for oh, several friends, including Ron Davidson many, many years ago, and, and uh, Tim Fallon with the FTW, who for several years used to allow me to bring my grandsons and then my granddaughter to come hunt uh, on their property after or after after christmas and before new year's so uh you know another one of those things to be truly thankful for because they've grown into some absolutely fantastic great young men and and the young lady and i say young they're young by my standards but uh you know they're having their own families now as well too and, and thankfully all of them do love to hunt and fish and uh so I got a feeling they'll be creating a bunch of their own memories before too very long and and uh, maybe their, their granddads will be taking them and not just their great granddads, those granddads one step below me will be taking those kids, great grandkids on hunts and fishing trips as well here in the very near future very thankful too in that as uh, the day after Thanksgiving I am headed back up to Alberta uh, to hunt with the Ron Nemicick with North River outfitting uh, I've missed going up there the last couple of years because of the covid thing and a few other things and can't wait to get back up there in two thousand and nineteen I shot my biggest true wild Booney Crockett, non-typical, basically a typical with about three non-typical points that put him into the non-typical category, Buck, and uh, while I was there, I saw so many young deer, young meaning yearling deer, that this year should be three and four years of age, so, uh, uh, you know... I, I can't wait to see what they're going to look like, and hopefully we'll have the weather that will be contusive that last week of the hunting season, which season shuts down at sunset, an official sunset, on the 30th of November. So um, we we'll get back from that one probably sometime right after the first of the year. Uh, we'll try to... Tell you a bunch of stories, and I'll try to do a little bit of something up there with, with uh, Ron and maybe some of the other hunters and camps too. And then still got a bunch of other hunts coming up, particularly on the lease that I have in in Western Texas and uh, a few other hunts. And then of course we got DSC's convention coming up January 11th through 14th at the K Bailey Hutchinson Center and world's greatest outdoor family reunion if you if you can call it that uh, and I think we should because it truly is like a big family when everybody gets together the finest outdoor show the best outdoor show there is not just in the world as far as I'm concerned but certainly in the universe as well too and if you've not already planned to be there you, you, you need to get a hotel room as soon as possible and plan on spending at least two days. And if you can, please spend all four days because uh, you will be really glad that you did and not just try to do it in a day or two, because I think there's something like 20 miles of aisles of different booths that are there. And of course, in the process of that, You're going to walk by so many different places you want to stop and visit and you'll continually run into friends and acquaintances and they want to tell you about their hunting trip and you'll want to tell them about your hunting and fishing trip. And next thing you know, you're changing photographs and you know, you spent an hour visiting with somebody and and you didn't get very far down the aisle when you started just a few, (coughs) just started earlier in the morning. So, uh, you know, plan on spending as much time there as you possibly can. And of course the nighttime The nighttime activities are we've got some of the finest hunts and fishing trips but particularly hunts and things that going up for auction and all those of course support DSC in terms of uh, conservation education and hunter advocacy and when it comes to that there is no finer organization there are other organizations out there and oh my gosh yes we need them but when you look at what they do and what DSC does it, it, it becomes very apparent very quickly that DSC is at the very cream of the crop of everything that's going on. Now, this year, too, you, you've heard me talk a little bit about some of the books, and particularly a book that Luke Clayton and I did uh, earlier this year called uh, Campfire Talk, based upon the Campfire Talk radio segment I've been doing with Luke for the last 15 or so years. And the uh, the, the Sporting Classics Daily for Sporting Classics, we do a uh, Campfire Talk weekly podcast with, it's called Campfire Talk with Luke and Larry. And we thought that Campfire Talk was an appropriate title. And basically we've taken some of our more, well, at least let's put it this way. We've we've selected some of the uh, articles and turned them into chapters. Those that Luke and I both really like. Now, some of them are about hunting. There's a little bit about fishing. Of course, there's always going to be something about eating as well too, or should I say maybe cooking and then eating kind of thing, you know, a few, uh, a few chapters in there, they're 41 chapters. It is a soft cover book. And, um, uh but a lot of good pictures as well too. And I'm so very proud to say that I called my old friend, Jim Zumbo and asked if, if Jim would graciously be the uh, person that did the forward. And he certainly did that. And I'm so appreciative of that. Jim is, is one of those true great outdoorsmen and all those kind of great things. We get beyond that. We also have, we'll, as a mentioned, we're going to have a book there. We'll probably be signing books in, in several different uh booths are in the process of it and i'm going to try to see if i can't get the uh, dsc store right when you come into the uh, convention center hall there at k bailey hutchison to see if they may uh, sell those as well too for us but i've also got another book that i just completed and it is now available as well too and it's called um deer addictions and basically what that is is 30 some chapters uh, based on articles I've written in the past about hunting the deer in North America with emphasis of course on whitetail deer because I've done more of it then secondly on mule deer and then of course you also have chapters there on the Sitka blacktail deer found up you know off the coast of um, and along the coast of Alaska and the Colombian blacktail which it starts you can kind of start finding those in southern coastal areas of British Columbia all the way down into about central California, and uh, there's, there's a long chapter about those as well, too. And then Coos white tail as I mentioned earlier, have always fascinated me. So, of course, there's a chapter or two there about hunting Coos white deer as well. So uh, Those books are available a lot of different places. They're available through Amazon. You can simply go to Amazon and type in Larry Weiss books, or, uh, or also Luke Clayton and Larry Weiss book, and it'll pop up, and you can order them there. But if you'd like a, a autograph copy, and you, Captain the Misses at DSC or or maybe elsewhere, uh, you can also go to catfishradio.org and that's c-a-t-f-i-s-h-r-a-d-i-o dot o-r-g and there's a place there where you can order those either one of those books either the one that luke and i did and also the one that i just did on north american deer and i will tell you that in the future luke and I are both looking at having more books at that particular site as well too we've got to three more books planned in the not too very distant future. So be on the lookout for those. And with that said, you know, those Christmases are just around the corner and and uh, they would make absolutely fantastic Christmas gifts. And if you get them, get, get to us, you know, in the next few days, uh, we will make every effort possible to get those Get those books out to you before Christmas, so that can be a, a, an ideal Christmas present for somebody who likes the outdoors, or you know, somebody who just likes to read a good story at time, or occasionally as well too. So, really thankful for Luke Clayton. Thankful for being able to to, to write and get these stories out and. It's time, I think, now to just kind of adjourn. And, uh, you know, got family coming in for Thanksgiving. We're going to enjoy Thanksgiving Day together. And in the afternoon, probably do a little hunting out at my place. And then I've also got to finish packing because I'll leave very, very early on Friday after Thanksgiving to head to Alberta. And and, uh, I hope when I start talking about that hunt in the future, I'll be able to say thank you, thank you, thank you, because I was able to find another outstanding whitetail deer uh, i love being hunting up there or i love hunting up there because those last days of the season we were hunting close to the athabasca river and you never know what's going to step out it could truly be a new world record or, or just a really nice big mature deer and and there's a few wolves there as well too so come after the first of the year sometime after christmas we'll have an episode or two about hunting there and that's about the time when i'm going to start really trying to uh tell you some of the stories and, and tell you some of the things that happened along with a great variety of guests during the uh, the fall hunting seasons as well that we're already into and that we're still going to have so don't forget about dsc coming up january 11th through the 14th don't forget about Uh, our books, Campfire Talk, and also Dear Addictions that are available now as Christmas gifts or just a gift to yourself, if you like. And with all that said, I look forward to seeing everybody right back here around our campfire next week. Thank you so very much for joining us this week. and you're out there hunting be safe which i know you will but may you all your hunting dreams come true and and don't forget to be thanking the good lord for the opportunities that we have and thankful for the country that we live in and all those folks who have gotten us to this point to be a free country god bless every one of them and god bless you we'll see you next week CSC's Campfires has also been brought to you by the Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas, Habit, Our Gear, Your Adventure, the Texas Wildlife Association, Double Nickel Taxidermy, Burn Brothers Game Calls, and H3 Whitetail Solutions.